Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. My name's Justin Lee. I'm joined by Adam Swenson and Brandon Lee. Greetings, gentlemen. Good morning to everyone there. Morning. So we are recording this on the 18th of December, and plenty of things to cover. Been about a month or so since we dropped one of these, or a few weeks at least. And uh, lots and lots of things to cover, including um, a very interesting upswing by the Lions, uh, Wolverines and the Fiesta Bowl, uh, some more Oakland University basketball. And we're a little deeper into the seasons for the Wings and Pistons. And oh, yeah, probably should talk a little bit about the Tigers off season as well. So all that and more coming up on this edition of the Emporium. As usual, we'll start in the land of Oakland University. And um, men's basketball team, um, not not had a great time in this preseason. Not entirely unexpected, although they've dropped six in a row, which I, I probably put a damper on their time in the Bahamas. Um, but they did drop their uh, first two um conference games as well which is a little bit disappointing also uh injury to blank latman he's going to be out until mid-january ish with a broken arm that's not helping things either and so here we are um they're going to be playing uh boise state today uh that'll be uh at four o'clock today and then uh they have their big annual game at msu coming up in uh, just a couple of days before we get back to the conference schedule. So what are we seeing so far? From my perspective, I'm just, you know, usually you have that the, the very clearly defined lineup, very clearly defined players who are doing what they need to be doing. And it seems to be very inconsistent across the board. Now, I know that Jalen Moore had a problem with his ankle, if I'm not mistaken, and, and he's been inconsistent. Uh, Watts is a guy that has played really well in games, and some games he just has not. Um, Townsend has really been a guy, and I think, Brandon, you spoke about Townsend on our last show when we are kind of opening up, uh, you know, the season discussion. Um, he, he's been pretty good, but I, I, I'll tell you, Brandon, I, I just – it, there, there doesn't seem to be the the, the the dependable guy or dependable lineup or and that, and that chemistry for the players and, and that leadership and and I think until that gets really underway and especially they had games on their schedule they could win they're, they're they're really but it just seems like that that gelling process is taking longer than we've seen in the past. Yeah, I think that's right. You know. They ha they've had one other start that was similarly as poor in the last five years. I don't remember what year it was, but I want to say they went like one and eight or, or something of that nature to start. But the makeup of their schedule, to your point, Adam, was very different that year, if I recall. It was much more loaded up with power five teams. Um, they don't look very good. Um, I don't think it would be a stretch to stay through the 11 games. It's one of the worst teams I've ever seen, uh, you know, can't be put out, you know, maybe at least in the last 15 years. They don't look good. And they're actually not fun to watch, which is unusual for open basketball because, you know, last year they could give you absolute fits. They could frustrate you, the turnovers, but they were fun. They were a lot of fun. And any, anytime Jamal Kane was on the court, they had a chance. 
And so it was fun to watch. You know, they knocked off Oklahoma State and they blew out Toledo. And, you know, they had a really nice start to the year last year. This year, they look atrocious. They lost to some very, very bad basketball teams in the Bahamas. Um, teams they should be embarrassed to lose to. Um, you know, they had a great win over Eastern. That was probably the most enjoyable game of the year for me to watch. Uh, what a blast. Both both teams, uh, you know, and obviously there was a great crowd. Uh, but other than that, almost nothing really to be super happy about. Towson's look good. Uh, the three-point shooting, I would say, has been utterly atrocious. Um, both Watts and Jalen Moore are under 30%. You're not going to win uh, many, many basketball games if your two guards are shooting a combined 50% from three. You're just not going to win. Not not now. Not in this, this era of college basketball. So, and Blake Lampman being their most reliable three-point shooter after that being hurt. Yikes. So, I hope they can pick it up in conference season, but I am not optimistic. This is uh, this is not a well-formed basketball team to Adam's main point. And I don't know where they go from here. Both this, you know, this year and, and, and as a program, I really don't know where they're going. You know, there was a lot more optimism about this team when we talked. Now, granted, last time we talked, their win over Eastern was pretty fresh. Uh, and that was pretty exciting. Um, and that was just third game of the year. Um, but one of the things we had talked about was just how Campy has well managed the transfer portal. I, I, I may remember when that started, and I, I, I know personally, I was like, I don't know even how teams like Oakland in that middle tier are going to manage the, the transfer portal situation. And I think Campy has done a pretty decent job at managing some really unfortunate transfers, but yet going out and finding some other players. And there were a few guys this year coming in, like Watts, for example, who we thought, hey, this is a really nice transfer portal pickup. It's probably too early to say, to ask the question, what went wrong? But I, it's, a, it's, it's just disappointing to see this going on and the fact that they really only have four players right now. And that's the other thing that we had talked about last year, obviously was that they had no depth and that they were gassed by the end of the season. I don't see that really changing. And again, with Lantman out, it really exacerbates that issue, but you know, they just, they've been cycling players through the, I, I hesitate to call it the power forward position because it's not really Oakland doesn't quite play like that, but you get my point. That that forward position, and they just have gotten no production out of that slot. They're really undersized. I, I was just, <laughs> I think we're all on the same page uh, uh, um, uh, in, in that realm, because, I mean, when you look at that roster, they're, I mean, Chris Conley, they got 6'9", but he's not really getting much playing time. Their biggest active player at this point is Trey Thompson at 6'6", 230 pounds. That's, uh, yeah, that's really tall and normal, normal life, but um, you need more size. There's absolutely no doubt you need more size. And even a team like Oakland should be able to go out and get a productive big man to be able to play on this roster and, and they haven't done. And Justin, to your point, the, the depth, and, and I went in, yes, I think that, that Campy has done a good job with the, the, the portal, but this, at the same time, 
uh, it just seems like they haven't been able to build out a full roster since the, the, the portal has come into place. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is get some sort of bench that can help out when you know the starters aren't feeling it. They got none of that. Yeah. And, and, and that's just, it's a real hazard. Yeah, for sure. And again, when you, when you have an undersized team and Oakland has had success with smaller teams in the past, yep. you have to hit the three. That's, that's the way you do it. Mm-hmm. And to Brandon's point, I mean, if you can't hit the three, I mean, you live by it or you die by it. And right now they're dying by it. Uh, I was just, I pulled up the Cleveland state game, which is the last conference game. And, you know, they shot four for 22. That's not going to get the job done. Um, and uh, just disappointing. Like I said, um, and I, I don't know that there's really even much more to say at this point, other than we got to wait and see what happens. You know, they've got these two uh, non-conference games back to the conference schedule and um, be interesting to see if they rise to the level of their opponents too. And not that I think they're going to beat either Boise State or MSU, but it would be interesting to see if they play better basketball when they're on that bigger stage. You can hope, you know, I think the problem is just, you know, the size again and, you know, rebounding, you know, I think they're in the somewhere in the 300s nationally, um, you know, and when they play Michigan State, Trey Townsend is one inch taller than Michigan State's shooting guard, oh, guard. so. I mean, that, you know, and that's really where you've seen, like, Oakland has been a gamer team against Power 5 conference teams, but when guards and small forwards are bigger than, you know, Oakland's power forwards, you know, you're, you're just, you're going to struggle if you're not dynamite from three, you have to have, you know, four or five guys that can shoot about 38% in order to compete. And that's just not, that's not them. And I think I'm more disappointed that I just don't understand where this, where the program is going, you know, yeah. uh, the one thing I'll end on Lauren Bowman, you know, only playing eight minutes a game, you know, I, 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 I struggle with that. You know, what happened? I mean, I know he had a really fell off the radar season in Wisconsin. He was injured, but he was still a three-star recruit that was recruited by one of the best basketball programs in the country. You know, Wisconsin's a perennial tournament team. Uh, and just to come here and not be able to get on the floor, you know, and then, you know, continuing to look out into the future, you know, Conway doesn't seem to have taken a step forward. Ose Price seems to have taken a step backwards. Um, you know, getting a little bit more out of Will Shepard. Uh, so that's good. You were getting a little bit more out of Blake Lampman, so that was good. But yikes, uh, you know, I I don't know, don't know. You, you know, the one thing that about this Michigan State game, though, it seems it would almost seem apropos that they would, you know, you know, right. compete really well, just because. I mean, the top twenty-five in NCAA basketball has gone through so many rotations this year. It, it is, it's incredible. That I mean, literally, you had like a couple of top five teams that have fell out of the top twenty-five altogether. Um, so I, I mean, Justin, I think you've kind of hit on what has been a little bit of a theme in college basketball uh, thus far this year. So, um, yeah. and 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 again, with it, the biggest thing though is be able to see can they get going with some of their home um, uh, conference games, that's going to be where we're going to get the the best, most true understanding about where they're at at this point. Yeah. 
And and good point too, Brandon, with uh, Lauren Bowman. I, I was thinking the same thing of just why is he not on the court more often? You know. Um, yeah, Jalen Moore I, has not looked great, and so you think there would be more minutes opening up. You know. Well, and that's the thing is when if they were winning, then I would have no questions. Uh, but when you're not, yeah. So, um, like he didn't even hit the floor. Uh, the last few games, and it just it, it's so just a little strange. But in any case, let us move on to happier college things, and that, of course, Michigan Wolverine football playing in the Fiesta Bowl against TCU. That's on New Year's Eve, and I think it's pretty safe to say this is one of the best Michigan teams that has existed in our lifetimes, at least certainly since we've watched football. Um, and that is pretty awesome. So um, what we've talked about all season long, what was going to be important came against Ohio state. what they do? They went out and they just won. They just went out and won the game. And um, what's next? What are your expectations uh, in the in this playoff, Brandon, I'm going to give it to you. This is your team, so yeah. I um I don't see why they can't win it. I I don't. You know, last year going into it, Georgia was a tough draw. Uh, they were clearly much much better than everyone else. You know, they had a, had a bad game against Alabama immediately preceding. You know, the playoff in Michigan. You know, had won finally beaten Ohio State, so I think the line was much closer than it should have been. But this year, I don't feel that way about any of the, the any of the teams. You know, um, I think on a neutral site, you know, Ohio State is just as dangerous as Georgia. Um, you know, I think TCU is clearly the weak link of the four, in my opinion, <laughs> just because they can't stop the run and they can't really play defense. Um, and so, I don't see why Michigan can't win at all. You know, I expect them to beat TCU. They should win that game. Uh, they should win that game. You know, it may be a high-scoring game, but they should win that game. Um, and then, you know, you see what happens, you know, I expect Georgia to make it to the, to the championship as well. I think it might be tight, but why not? You know, JJ McCarthy finally showed the separation from Cade McNamara, you know, against Ohio State, he finally started making the throws that, you know, maybe Cade couldn't have made, you know, in particular, the, the play action pass to Loveland, uh, that really created some separation in the second half, you know, um, so they seem primed for it. You know, I tell you what, you and I are going to differ greatly on something. And I, I, I <clears throat> and that is, I, I expect Georgia to completely smoke a spineless Ohio State team that, in all honesty, did not play well down the stretch. I find it, and, and probably going into playoff because it would be unbelievably over the top parity level that there is in college football at this point. Um, and uh, I, I expect Georgia to completely smoke Ohio State in that game. And I do expect Michigan to go ahead and win uh, against TCU. I don't think that they uh, Michigan will prevail against Georgia because I think Georgia will have a gear that they simply haven't played with all year. Um, now, by the way, I think it, it will be a lot closer competitive from an eye perspective game between Michigan and Georgia than it was last year. I think this is a much better defense on, on, on for Michigan. And I'm, I'm curious too, uh, is that it seems like 
you know, the, the, the quarterback play, especially in the last two games, or, or yeah, last two games has been very impressive with, with Michigan. And I, I just feel like that, that, and the other thing being is, I, I do kind of wonder whether or not that, that defense of Georgia is as is, is good as it looked down the stretch. Because I don't, I think the SEC in general wasn't nearly as good a conference. Very down. Just like we talked about national football as a team. I, I tend to, I wonder whether or not Georgia defense is as good as, as, as we think it was. I, I don't think so. But I still think that Georgia prevails in that game after they completely smoke Ohio State. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I would be happy to be very wrong. And I would be more than happy for Georgia to annihilate Ohio State. I didn't like that they got in. But at the end of the day, for a team like that to get essentially a fresh start and to have, I don't know, 15 NFL caliber players on it, yeah. you never know. You know, you know it's just one of those. Absolutely. It's just, you know, and Vegas only put the line at six and a half. So, um, you know, I, I, I think Ohio State could be dangerous in that game. And I uh, apologize. Where, where, where do they play the uh, – Georgia Ohio State game we had at the Orange Bowl. Um, it's a no, it's it's a home game basically. It's in Atlanta. Okay, okay. And so I, I would say if I were to to talk about that game a little further, there there would be some truth because Georgia in a dome against an Ohio State team might be something that 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 is um not great for for the uh, Bulldogs. So, but they, I mean, they're certainly favored. They're certainly the better team, even if they. Lose. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Um. So, but no, I mean, I think you know to go back to what you said, Adam. The quarterback play has been differentiating in the final two games, and really, that is what what I argued. I believe the last time we were on is I just didn't see the difference uh, between the two uh, leading up to the Ohio State game. And in the Ohio State game, McCarthy did everything he had to do, and then he played very well against Purdue, and he continues to not turn the ball over. Uh, and, you know, kind of a hush-hush secret all year has been, you know, d- despite, you know, how awesome of a season he was having, Donovan Edwards is a more talented running back than Blake Corum, and it's really not close. Uh, Blake Corum is a very solid running back. He's very smart. He will be. He will play on Sunday. He'll get that chance. But Edwards was a five-star, and he's a guy that's probably going to be a first-round pick when he's drafted if he stays healthy, and Corum will be a third or fourth-round pick, and he'll he'll make a team. He'll be a good player. But, uh, you know, having Edwards, you know, really now getting the, the lion's share of the touches and then McCarthy stepping into his own makes it a very dangerous football team. Well, and I think the thing that Michigan does, and, and this is why the game against TCU, I don't think will be very close, is I just think that Michigan is so physical. And, 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 and that's what really defined their win against Ohio State is how unbelievably physical they are, that they were able to basically – you know, the, the, the more they played the game, the more you could tell Ohio State was just not up for the test. And between the missed opportunities of Ohio State in the first half and then just being butchered to death almost in, in the second half. And, and that's where I, I look at the game again that, that, that Ohio State uh, um, is going to have against Georgia, where I think Georgia is as physical, if not okay. more, than, than, than Michigan. And I just don't know. But the, the, and, and where you make a great point is they do on, on, on Ohio State have NFL speed and and that's that and on a indoor track that that could make the game potentially interesting. So, just the one thing I want to mention you mentioned the defensive changes. 
one, I think they're faster than they were last year. But again, going back to how badly I believe that Michigan State's defensive coaches were outcoached for many of the years, you see two guys with NFL experience come in and without too much difficulty, completely figure out how to shut down Ohio State's offense. You know, really without any trouble, you know, other than Marvin Harrison being, you know, as good as he is and made a couple of tremendous catches. And that's what he's going to do. He's probably the one or two best wide receivers in the country. They didn't do anything that confused Michigan. And if you go back in years past and just watch the way that, you know, Dr. Blitz's defense was completely exposed every single year by crossing routes over the middle, you know, uh, Minter shut that down just like McDonald did the year before. And they played very physical on the line and they were not afraid uh, of Ohio state's weapons. And I just, I think Adam nailed it. Ohio state was not ready for that. I think Ohio state thought, okay, we're, we're back on. Everything's fine again. We've got more talent and Michigan just repeatedly kind of punched him in the mouth. Uh, and really, you know, and, and CJ Stroud certainly did nothing to help his draft stock. Yikes. No, no. terrible. No, no. So, so Peach Bowl is the uh, bowl that um, Ohio State and Georgia are playing. Um, also, of course, on New Year's Eve uh, after the uh, Michigan game. And then the winners will play on the 9th of January. And you'll note that I did not say the sponsor names because I refuse to. Uh, it's the Fiesta Bowl. And it's the Peach Bowl. Let's just be very clear about that. But... This is no doubt our last show for the year. So once we're back and uh, doing all the things in January, I'm sure we will have plenty to talk about to wrap up the college football season. And uh, maybe, just maybe, with a U of M championship, that would be pretty sweet. So it is rare for me to talk optimistically about a certain professional football team. And I'm still not prepared to do it. Yeah, let's not be silly. And I was getting nervous, man. I I know. Really nervous. Because I it will be a long time before I'm ever convinced that there's really been a difference. But that said, Lions have won five of their last six. There's excitement behind this team. And I find that to be enjoyable to watch people kind of lose their minds over this team a little bit, which, I mean, this city is so starved for a winning football team. I mean, my God, it would be nice. A winning team in general. Well, that's, that's fair. That's, that's, that's really fair. Um, but the Lions in particular, such a rabid fan base for no particularly good reason. And it would be nice for them to be rewarded with an actual good football team. Um, and the game that actually convinced me that perhaps it's worth paying attention is their win against Minnesota last week. Um, and interestingly, Minnesota, uh, what, what a stunner yesterday uh, coming from behind to win that game. I mean, what, there was two minutes left, two and a half minutes left, and they were still down by, what, three scores? It's right? almost like the Colts hired a guy who's just an announcer to be their head coach. <laughs> it's almost like they did that. It's crazy. <laughs> Imagine just finding someone off the street and saying, hey, do you want to coach? 
It's almost as if they did that. I can't believe it. It was on. It's you know crazy. what? You, you know what's amazing is when they did that. I, I don't know why it was, but I, I was dying to understand what Brandon would say about their Jeff Saturday hire. And, and we haven't done much of a trip around the NFL on, on this uh, show at all this year. But uh, I mean, it it is really dumbfounding the decisions that you see these ownerships make. In fact, there's a report that was sent out earlier today by the NFL office to all the NFL team front offices saying that at this point, I, I don't know what the timeline was. Maybe it was maybe the last five years, but they've, they've wasted almost a billion dollars in, term, in, in money that is owed with people that they have terminated from their organizations. And basically the NFL coming back and going, we, we cannot continue to be hiring and terminating people and, and, and having these long contracts. It is, it, it, we're burning money at a, a ridiculous rate. Um, almost like a Bobby Bonilla uh, syndrome across the whole uh, NFL. But to, to that point, um, and, and, and Justin, going back to the Lions, though, um, you know, I, 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 I have to tell you that the, the big thing I encourage people, I've done it before on the show, I will continue to do it. You have to, in the NFL, it's always, always about what you did the past Sunday, Monday, whatever your last game was. With the Lions, I think the most important part to really look at is literally they went from the the Green Bay Packers game where they did not lose. I'm not going to tell you that they won that game. I will tell you that they did not lose to a Minnesota game where they they won that game. There was no they went out and they won that game. And the progression of this particular organization from that Packers game till now, I didn't even like had they played even like. They did against the the, uh, uh, the the Bills on Thanksgiving. I don't think they would have won that game against the Vikings. They, they're they just getting better and better in this streak. And that's where I have reasonable confidence that they're going to continue this going forward. Saying that, I'm pretty concerned with the next three out of four games on the road because I don't care who you are. In the NFL, winning on the road is tough period, end of story. Uh, and that's where I, I, I kind of call my anticipation for the next four games. So the, yeah. oh, go ahead, B. No, I was just going to say, you know, I, I actually maybe a little bit. Uh, so for me, you know, Justin, you mentioned the turning point game. To me, the two turning point games for me were actually the Giants and the Bills. Um, you know, to go, obviously the Giants are, are in a rut, but to go on the road and win by two touchdowns, basically against a, a, you know, a pretty good Giants team, team that's coming out of the fringes of the playoffs, I thought was good. And hanging with Buffalo is is no short order, even even though they did not play well, even though they made some mistakes. So those were the two games for me where I thought, okay, they might actually have something to say. I think the Vikings are complete frauds. Um, you know, I you know, they won yesterday, whatever. It's a joke. Have fun losing by 30 in the playoffs whenever they play a team that has a pulse. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I, so I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged, you know, I am very encouraged by what I've seen. I think they've got a couple of really stingy defenses coming up. And I think that'll be interesting to see how the offense responds to that because the Vikings, the Jaguars, you know, the bills, these are not good defenses. Uh, I think, you know, they, they've abused that rightfully so. Uh, but these two defenses they got coming up on the road, good test for them. You know, if they can get to seven or eight wins, you know, huge kudos uh, to Holmes and to Campbell. Agreed. Absolutely. And that's really where I was going with this was, you know, it's the Lions offense that's carried them 
and now they're going to be going up against some better defensive teams, including the Jets. Um, and the Lions defense is more of like a flag football defense, uh, which is what they've been playing against, too. And, and not trying to take anything away from from them winning. I mean, they've gone out and they've done what they've needed to do to win. So they get credit for that. Um, but this is where the rubber starts to meet the road is, you know, can they play? Because, you know, it, it brings us back to the the I'll call it the age old Jared Goff question of, you know, people seem to, to go between, wow, this guy, he's a pretty good quarterback to he is trash. He is, you know, worse than Andre where, you know, horrible, blah, 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 which granted Lions fans have a tendency to do that in general, but who is the real Jared Goff? I don't know the answer to that. Well, I think the important thing with Goff is to understand when he did not play well this year, he had no Josh Reynolds. He had no DJ Shark. He had no wide receivers to throw it to. He was thrown to Tom Kennedy, for heaven's sakes. And I think that's the that's the thing that has to be understood in that particular piece is that if he's got those two guys, along with Amon a- Ross State Brown, then then it's, the, the game's a lot easier. That's what he had the last two, three games. And, and of course, he, he will look good. Um, the big question will be, you know, you go to the Meadowlands today and, and, and uh, you're going to be playing in, in, in not so great weather. Who knows what you're going to get next week, Christmas Eve in, in Carolina when you're on the road. And of course, the last game of the year will be up at Lambeau. Um, that's a tough game for anyone, especially a guy like Jared Goff, who very, very, very clearly prefers playing a home when you look at the fact that even on the road, I think this year, he only has like two touchdown passes. Um, so I, I think that's something to consider, but, and I think, you know, when you're really thinking about this team going forward and actually the defense though, has really made a turn from their run defense. They have not given up a hundred yard of runner, I believe in six or seven weeks. And that's been one of the big keys. I mean, they held Delvin Cook to 20 yards last week. That's ridiculously good. Uh, and they've done very good against other running backs. And the other thing too, is that when you think about it, <clears throat> Maybe Dante Foreman next week with Carolina that'll you know you know provide some challenges. Uh, you know the the Jets are not they don't really have a great running game, um, and and of course uh, you know you'll have Chicago coming in on New Year's Day. Uh, you're not going to be able to contain uh, Justin Fields. Uh, no one can. Uh, so you are going to get. But then you go up and then you you obviously have Aaron Jones and uh, uh, AJ Dillon, uh, and 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 that will be really in my my mind will be the key over the next four weeks, are they able to continue being successful on the run defense? If they are, then that, that will be the difference between them going to the playoffs and not going to the playoffs. You know, if you answer your question on golf, I mean, I, I don't think we know, but he is, you know, he, you're, you can go to a Super Bowl with him. I mean, we know that. I mean, I think with the exception of four or five guys, there's quite a bit of parity in terms of NFL quarterbacks. I mean, Yes. Even after a rough night, you know, Geno Smith is still, what, three in quarterback rating this year? You know, you put a decent line around guys. The corpse of Andy Dalton, you know, <laughs> can can complete 68% of his passes. I mean, I, you know, so it's just it, – it, you have a decent run game and a decent offensive line, and you can do a, ho- a whole lot with a whole little. And so I hope they learn from that, and they don't try to go after Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud or Will Levis. Take a quarterback in the third or fourth round. Load up on defense. Like, you're going to have enough weapons, if you're smart, 
that you can pick a quarterback in the second, third, fourth round, and you'll be just fine. Well, there's, there is no quarterback in this draft that is a Patrick Mahomes or right. anything of that nature. So, and, and he wasn't a, a top five pick. So nope. be smart, load up on defense. Yep. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, their past defense, they need to improve upon. I mean, you know, part of me thinks, well, they do well against the run because they're easy to pass against. Uh, and it's not quite that simple. Um, but it, yeah, that's a, a glaring weakness in the team. But I, I actually am trying not to be negative. See, I'm, 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 you know, right. But, but, but the one thing I'll point out now, remember too, in, in this particular last five out of six games, they've actually had really patchy, um, uh, you know, quarterback play from uh, you know being available. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. Jeff Okuda has been out a couple of the games. He was sick last weekend and and, and was pretty ill going in. Um, Jerry Jacobs, the undrafted free agent from last year, in, in all honesty, is just now returning back from an ACL, so he's not per- perfect. Um, you know, they'll get Tracy Walker back next year after he you know recovers from his ACL, um, and then Kirby Joseph, of course, is just emerging. I mean, don't get me wrong. You're, you're going to have to go out and get a, at least a slot corner, and and you know, but and I think the argument too is this is a team with uh, five first uh, five draft picks in the first sixty five, um, and in addition to that, their cap will be in a much better shape than than the last two seasons. And of course, this is a going to be a more marketable organization to go to than it has been for the last five years from our free agency standpoint. So. Mm-hmm. And, and that is one really important thing to point out is the Lions have finally, and credit to Holmes in this, have finally put themselves in a position where not only do they have cap space, but that they have those draft picks. And this is one of the things Eiserman has done with the Wings. He went and stockpiled draft picks and started cleaning up the salary cap. And that's what you have to do in these leagues at this point, unless you're in the, uh, unless you're in the major league baseball, which is a whole, we're going to talk about that at some point and the ridiculous contracts. And, uh, you know, by the way, fun fact, Ken Griffey jr. Was the sixth highest paid player on the reds last season. Um, he retired in 2012. So good for him. <laughs> it, um, anyway, uh, so, Lions playing later on today, like I said, at the Jets, and uh, we will see what happens. Um, but did you want to take a little tour of the NFL, Adam? Yeah, no, I, I, I think, uh, you know, the AFC, I think we can argue, is uh, is a much better conference than the uh, NFC at this point. Uh, but the one thing I, I, I think when I'm looking at the teams, Kansas City, Buffalo, Cincinnati, those are the three teams when I think about going to the Super Bowl. Uh, they they could go, um, and uh, I I tend to think that Cincinnati's the team. I think Joe Burrow uh, will 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 carry on. Uh, their running game has been pretty consistent between Michigan and Pirine, um, and and that defense is so darn underrated and good. Uh, I, I I think that 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 that'll be a, a a very interesting team down the stretch and, and into the playoffs. I don't necessarily have a lot of faith for Kansas City. I. Uh, you know, they got into that game against Denver last week, and that should have never been a game. 
uh, and I, I, I don't think much of them. Uh, and I think the, this Von Miller injury uh, with the Bills, I, I just don't know what the Bills can put it together uh, because of that defense, and they still continue to not have a very good run game. Uh, Devin Singletary's all right, uh, you know, and, and they've got some other uh, running backs there, but he just, uh, I think Cincinnati is definitely the, the, the uh, team there. Um, and, uh, you know, in the NFC, uh, I think it's the Eagles are bust. I think they're, they, they've, you know, had a little bit of a, a wall here in the middle of the season, but I think that they will uh, be the team. Um, I, I, I don't know how far Brock Purdy can take the uh, San Francisco 49ers. Uh, but, you know, I, I, one thing I will say is that it is by far the best defense uh, in, in, in the national uh, football league uh, from, you know, from the top of the roster to the bottom of the roster. So that, that will be, uh, you know, interesting to watch. And I, I hope to God that we can put to, to bed anything having to do with the Buccaneers. I, I, no one wants to see them play anymore. Please, please end it. I don't know how to do it, but the football version of euthanasia maybe should be used, but uh, hopefully that'll end. And, and of course, the Bengals do go down to Tampa. We'll have to see how that game plays out. Uh, that'll already be done by the time we get this uh, show up in the schedule. So, um, yeah, I, I think when I look at AFC, Adam, you know, to me, really, those three teams, uh, I don't disagree with your assessment. I think the thing that's going to be the determining factor is, is home field advantage. Where are those games played? Where, in particular, is the AFC Championship played? If the AFC Championship is played in Buffalo, I think Buffalo's got a shot. Um, but, you know, I think otherwise, I, I, I would probably say Cincinnati's probably the most dangerous of the three. But, you know, will Cincinnati be able to go into Buffalo? They won an arrowhead last year. Can they go into Buffalo and win a game like that? You know, I don't know. Um, I don't know. And then in the NFC, I'm a little bit higher on San Francisco. Um, I think, you know, their defense is so good. I'm not convinced Philadelphia is that good. Um, I think that Philadelphia is, is able to do is doing some very simple things and being successful right now. I think against more sophisticated defense in the playoffs, I don't know that just throwing go routes to AJ Brown and throwing it up in the air is going to work, you know, and that's basically what they're doing every week is they're running the ball really, really well. And they are the most dangerous rushing team in the league, but I'm not impressed with Hurts all that much throwing the football. I think he's doing, he's trying a lot of out patterns, quick checkdowns, and he's lobbing the ball up to A.J. Brown. And I just fear that, you know, a team like Frisco can control the game enough that if Hertz has to beat you at his arm, I don't know that he can do that. And so I think that'll be very interesting to see. And, and I don't and think that, there's anyone else of relevance in the NFC other than those two. No, and I, and I mean, I will tell you, so there are people out there that will try to tell you that the Cowboys are, are in that same class. And, and and if you're not committing to Tony Pollard as your every down back and, 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 and basically taking advantage of him maybe being the best running back in the National Football League, and you are continuing because Jerry is stupid to, you know, dedicate your time to Ezekiel Elliott, you're, you're not going anywhere. I think they need I, to rest Pollard, though, this week. They no, need to actually. bring his touches down, maybe five to seven touches. <laughs> Uh, I'm just sitting. Uh, you're already, you've already got everything locked up. But you, you know, you're fine. Just give him a rest. I, I was really actually thinking this would be a really good week for Ezekiel Elliott to lose his helmet, and they just they just can't put him on the field. And so Pollard's got to get all the touches. Not that you know this has anything to do with fantasy football or anything along those lines. <sighs> yes, indeed. I have the one one last football comment. 
I would not be surprised with the Lions first round, not the Rams, but the Lions first round draft pick if, if they draft Anthony Richardson from Florida. So I'll put that out there. Time will to tell. Clo- to close things out on the fantasy level, I'm going to tell you what pain is. Pain oh is walking back into your living room, stubbing your big toe on your entertainment center in quite a painful way, only to kind of whip around to the TV to watch some idiot score a 67-yard touchdown that you're playing against, uh, who only got four targets, and two of them were like over 40 yards or something. Just like, what is, what is this? This is pain. This he is got pain. This six targets. Game. For the record, he got six targets. Thank you very much. This moron. Get out of here. <laughs> How are you leaving that open? What are you doing? <laughs> Just playing the numbers. Just playing the numbers. Okay. All right, moving into uh, Pistons basketball. Um, injuries have not been the Pistons' friend this year. Of course, not much has been the Pistons' friend this year. Eight and twenty-three. Boy, I really didn't think it was going to be this brutal. Um, but it, it doesn't get any worse than losing Kate Cunningham for the season. I mean, there's there's just nothing. I uh, I. Is there anything else to talk about? I mean, I suppose there's a few things, but, um, you know, Isaiah Stewart has played better, um, you know, uh, but they lost him for a few weeks. Um, you know, Bagley missed the beginning of the season. It just, it's been one thing after another. Um, what, what positives can the Pistons take out of a season that's essentially lost? I mean, with this start and losing hands down your best player, what what's the takeaway for the rest of the year? I, I think the pain to me is I, I don't know what the, the actual design of this team is. You know, we were talking about open basketball earlier. Sure. We're not quite sure where the program is at at this point. And I, I it, it almost, you can say the same exact thing for the Pistols. Um, where, you know, on, on one side, hey, it's been really nice to see Killian Hayes start to really look, you know, to be fulfilling his potential, right? Um, it's nice to see the bench coming around and, and, and being more, way more productive than they were the first month I have to season. Saying all that, I, you know, and, and even the move, I mean, Trey Weaver going out and getting Bojan, uh, Bojan it was an, an incredible pickup for, for what it was. But in the meantime, I just, I don't know what this team is. And, and you know, I, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I, I get frustrated because last year I, I thought they should have gone out and, and you know, if Sabonis, who went to Sacramento from Indiana, you know, Indiana was available, he would have been a tremendous big man to bring into this particular team, something that would have fit in very well. He had all the skill sets that, that a guy like Dwayne Casey wants within his offense. But literally every time they seem to get started, Brandon, they just can't get going. And of course the Kate Cunningham injury is really bad, but the way this team was designed, it's almost like, well, I don't want to say it's not a big deal, but they draft all these players of the, the same exact anyways, where you're going to, you have three guys right behind Kate to fill in the same role. And, and that's where it's just the team makeup is terrible. Yeah. I, um, you know, as far as what is the good news is they're going to have another top five draft pick. That's the good news. <laughs> um, you we know, do enjoy silver linings. I, you know, I think Adam makes a fair point. I um, I don't know where they're going, 
And uh, what I know is they have the pieces in place to go somewhere and to be a playoff team and to be, you know, a team that could be really, really dangerous if they pull it off. They've got all the pieces they need. They're going to have an, ex- an inordinate amount of cap space. Um, they've got movable talent for this deadline, too. And they may flip Bogdanovich again. Um, you know, they may, Alec Burke is playing really well. They may move him. Uh, or they may move a guy like Bagley. Um, so they have the opportunity to bring in more talent, more draft picks. But at some point, you have to turn the corner. You have to say, I'm going to go get a Sabonis. And I'm going to c- cement you know, my front court around a guy like that. And this, this, this bizarre rotation of, of both the front court and the back court, you know, I, I just don't think it's doing much for player development. You know, I'm, I'm sick of seeing some of these guys on the floor, to be honest with you, you know, make a decision, just make a decision. You know, I, you know, if, I, I don't like, I love Stewart's development, but either you got to make him the guy or get him out of the way so that Durham can play. You know, they just got to make some of those choices. And I was saying the same thing about Killian Hayes, you know, when Cunningham was healthy. It's like, what are you doing, this guy? You know, he's this now, but when Cunningham's back and you've got year two Jaden Ivey, how much is Killian Hayes getting on the floor next year? Not much. So move the guy or not, or 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 do something else with one of those guys. I mean, they're not going to trade, I don't think, would trade Cunningham or Ivey. So, you know, and then Adam brought up, you know, the Sadiq Bay issue last time we spoke. You know, and what do you, you're not, you're, you're, you got him in purgatory. Yeah. So you, they gotta, they've gotta figure some of this stuff out. Otherwise they're just, they're going to end up with a team that's going to win 40 games every year for a while. And that's going to be about it. They've, they've got to make some decisions. So this is one of the things we talked about even early on when Troy Weaver came to the Pistons is he's trader Troy. He just constantly moves people. And at first it was kind of like, well, their roster is so bad. Why not till the earth, right? You know, just turn it over and let's see what happens. But is this going to be the way he runs things? And if it is, over the long term, you're not going to get that. You're not going to get that kind of team. It just it doesn't work that way in basketball, certainly. Um, you have to have pieces that are the foundation. And then you can bring guys in and out around that. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I, I think they got to go out. And part of me goes, yeah, you can trade Bodan, right, and and get a first round draft pick and, and whatever. I, I'm almost of the opinion, trade a you know couple of these young guys and and, and please set Sadiq Bay free, please somewhere, anywhere. Uh, it just <laughs> seriously, he oh, has the talent. He has the talent to be a Shea, SGA, right? He can shoot the lights out along with being a, a good physical presence in, in the paint for a forward. Right. And, 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 and he has that talent, but they just, but I, I think it's time to, you know, bring in another really good and not Marvin Bagley level. I mean, like a, a good player, someone to, to Justin's point, a foundational player. And then you can have the young guys that you've drafted around them, whether it be Durant, whether it be Ivy, whether it be, you know, Killian Hayes, who seems to finally be coming into his own. But that's what needs to happen. And I think, that, and, and I think for Bojan, I mean, you, you I, I think, you, I, I was thinking, oh, it'll be great if you trade up. But now I'm like, no, 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 no. Keep him along with someone else. And, and, and whether it be, and maybe, I don't, I, I don't know who that player is. That's where Troy Weaver needs to play a role. But then they need a very veteran 
and, and from a free agency standpoint, that's where I just I, I, they got to figure out how to make this team way more marketable. Yeah, I guess, you know, when I was going to ask you, Adam, and Dustin weigh in as well, you know, what, what would you think about, you know, packaging Bay together with that first round pick next year and seeing what you can get? You know, who's going to be selling off uh, at the deadline or who's ready to start over and wants to roll the dice on Wembayana? Um, you know, that's kind of where my head's at. And, you know, I wouldn't make this particular deal um, because of his injuries. And I don't know, you know, the feasibility of it, but you know, putting together that first round pick and somebody and getting an Anthony Davis, you know, something like that, where, you know, you've got, you know, an established high quality, you know, all-star caliber player, they got to go get one. And now him with the injury issues and the mess in LA, you know, that's not the guy, but like that kind of a player uh, and, and trade him to a team that wants to try to gamble and get, you know, uh, and get, get a shot at that, that high pick. Because other than the top couple guys, the NBA draft next year is pretty ugly. Uh, this past draft was much deeper, much deeper. Mm. Next year is ugly. I, I, I'm, I'm fine with that because at some point sure. some, some, some sort of, of veteran presence uh, and, and someone's going to say, get on my back, I'm going to take us through the bottles. And you're not going to have that with the, the cast of, uh, that they have at this point. So That's it. Where does Dwayne Casey fit into all of this? Because for the first time, I've seen more and more calls for him maybe not being the right guy um, for the organization. Um, is that true? Is that not true? Where, where is your brain with that? I, I thought that for a little bit. I thought maybe Dwayne Casey, but but I, I actually, I, I just, I don't think Dwayne Casey can do anything with this roster. I don't think anyone could do anything <laughs> And that's where I look at Troy Weaver. He's got to be able to figure out who he's going to bring in to make this a formidable roster that Dwayne Casey can work with. Yeah, the only thing I I would add to that is, you know, I don't even know what direction he's getting from Weaver in terms of playing time and development and what that collaboration looks like if it's just on Casey, you know, to approach the team and and handle it as he sees fits. Or if Weaver's a little bit more of an activist uh, GM, you know, and is really collaborating with Weaver or she's been collaborating with Casey on, you know, minutes and playing time, but in any, in either event, you know, Casey's likely probably coaching a team that he may not have assembled just that way, or he's got Weaver kind of tinkering with, you know, you know, long-term planning and that's changing some of the minutes because ah, the, the way the team's constructed is not ideal. Uh, it really, even when even with Cunningham healthy, it was not ideal. And, and and to add to that, too, is that my concern always would be if you do go beyond Dwayne Casey, my concern is who, who are you going to bring in? And, and I, I mean, I, I think finding a good NBA coach, especially as good as I think that Dwayne Casey is, is, is a very challenging thing. And I think that's where you, even you have to be careful as well. Yep. Well, let's move on to um, our other Detroit team that's been in kind of purgatory for a bit in the Detroit Red Wings. Off to a really nice start to the season and then have come back to earth a little bit. Um, Also a team very much bitten by the injury bug. Good news with the Wings is they're an above 500 team, nevertheless, and are still set up for 
some fantastic long-term success, particularly if their young players continue to play well, get past their sophomore slumps, and some of these young guys who keep coming up still continue to perform. Um, but it's been rough for the Wings. Um, Tyler Bertuzzi's barely played this year. Uh, he's blocked shots with his hand twice this season and twice gone on injured reserve for that reason. Robbie Fabry's been out all year. Jacob Vrana has basically been out all year, although he was just reinstated from the substance abuse program uh, or player assistance program. Um, that's three guys that you could consider top six forwards out of the lineup basically all season. You know, Fabry's hit or miss in top six, certainly top nine. And um, that's that's just not helping anything whatsoever. And then the Wings, and, and we knew this going into the season, did not have a ton of depth on defense. And so when you have multiple injuries to defensemen, that also, you know, um, with uh, Mata, who's been out with pneumonia, um, yeah, he's been the Wings probably their best defenseman this year. And that's, you know, not having him. And then several really solid back-end guys have missed a lot of seasons. They're, they aren't flashy, but they would just give you depth. Uh, Mark Pazic, who hasn't actually played yet this season, re-injured his Achilles. And he was really supposed to be a Wings, like, fifth, sixth defenseman. Just a really solid guy. He's not going to play this year. So... It would be nice if the Tigers' injury problems didn't leak onto the other major league teams here. So, anyway, what are your guys' observations so far? I can't disagree with anything you said, right? I mean, that, that defense was something that was going to be suspect going into the season, right? Um, we, we knew, you know, based on the roster, they were going to be very young across the board, so... Um, it was still going to be a developing story. I, I still hope that this team is able to, you know, get all the players that, you know, that you're talking about and be able to manage to get into a playoff um, uh, series, because I think that would go a long way in terms of the development of this new team uh, or of, of this Red Wings team. Um, what I will be curious, and again, we have some time before then, is really being able to get that idea about where Steve Eisenman thinks this particular team is. Uh, and, and, and we'll know that as we're getting closer to the trade deadline, right? But, but we have a good amount of time before that happens. Um, but to your point, I think it's a, a team that's slowly but surely putting things together. But again, it's slowly. And, and it, it is a process. And it's just a matter of being patient at this point. You know, you, you had that win a couple, about a few weeks ago against the Lightning. And then all of a sudden, um, and I mean, it, it was a fantastic finish of that game. Uh, but to, to your point, with the defense where it's at, I mean, they've given up, uh, uh, let's see here, eight, nine, nine, uh, 19 goals in the last five games. Yeah. That's not a recipe for winning hockey. And oh, by the way, in the meantime, you've scored um, uh, seven uh, in, in that same stretch. So uh, hopefully, you know, get, get the ship right in here pretty soon. And it sounds like that might happen once you get a lot of these players back. Yeah, I'm not worried. Um, prior to the bottom just falling out the last five, six games, they were doing just fine. Yeah. They were right where they needed to be. Um, you know, obviously it's very early in the year, but, you know, five games ago they had played about 20 or so, and they were in the six or seven seed, you know, in the East, which is exactly where we want to seem to be. So um, I'm not overly concerned. I think that they're doing just fine. I, I, obviously this is bad. Um, 
you know, but if they get healthy, I think they'll be just fine. And I just, I, you know, I want to see them get in the playoffs or threatened. Um, and so I don't see like when we talk, when we, the theme that we talked about a lot with the Tigers, certainly with the Pistons. And I, I frankly even still think with, with the Lions is, you know, there's structurally, there's still some significant flaws or questions. And I think the wings are getting closer uh, to being more structurally sound and they just got to get healthy. They do need to add a piece or two on defense, but yes. I think they are becoming, you know, perhaps the most well-rounded team of some not great teams, uh, but the most well-rounded team, you know, of the big four here. Yeah. Um, and actually that's a really great point. Um, it would be, it would be great if they could add um, one offensive defenseman, like a truly, good offensive defenseman to this club and i i would like to see a little more grit in certain places but yeah that's a great point i mean structurally speaking it's 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 a really solid team and even with all the injuries they have been able to plug players in who've at least been able to perform adequately um and nice to see you know, like you had uh, Bearsgren, you know, um, didn't really expect him to do anything this season. They plug him in with the injuries and he's played really solid for being, you know, uh, a young guy. Um, you know, Larkin having probably his best season since maybe his second year, rookie year. Um, it is contract year for him. So that is another question mark that definitely needs to get resolved before the end of the year is he is an unrestricted free agent at the end of this season and a very, very important piece to this team. And that is probably one of Eiserman's highest priorities in the moment is figuring out what to do with him. The other part is determining if, uh, Vili Huso is the wings, number one goaltender, uh, N- Nedeljkovic. He, I, I, they don't play him anymore. Um, he has not played well at all. They actually brought up a third goaltender to play, um, Helberg, um, who is, you know, it was mostly played in Europe and done a little bit of journeyman stuff as a third goaltender, but, um, they're playing him over, uh, Nedeljkovic and, that was interesting to see. Um, so yeah, they got to figure out the goaltending situation as well. So that's about One thing it. I really like about the wings is that, you know, I think they're really close in terms of the team composition and they're only relying on two guys over 30 right now. And that's what really gives me so much hope. And that's Peron and Cheryl who are both free agent signings. Um, other than that, everyone on this team is under 30 and a couple of years under 30, you know, yeah. even Larkin's like 27, yeah. you know, most of these guys, and then you got a couple of just young phenoms, you know, like cider and whatnot. Yep. Um, so I, I just 26. Yeah. I mean, so yeah. that's what gives me so much hope is to me, they are getting very close, um, to, to really, you know, being, a, being a dangerous team. Yeah, that's another great, great point. Um, and, you know, you've got Raymond and Cider, who are both struggling this season, um, but they'll be fine. Uh, they're going to be absolutely and utterly fine. And even struggling, they're better than 
many other players in the NHL. Um, so that's a great point. Um, Iserman has done all the right things. And also a nice return to earlier form for Philip Ronick. Um, he has had, and perhaps I'm doing a disservice to him by calling Mata the uh, best defenseman on the team um, this year. Maybe Ronick is actually the guy who uh, who is. But everything trending in the appropriate direction. That's what we care about. So, so speaking of trending, now I don't know what direction it is, and I'm really curious to see what you guys think about this. I have my own opinions because obviously baseball is my primary sport, but I'm very curious to get your guys' take on Scott Harris's early early reign as the head of the Tigers with just throwing right out there way too early to truly judge what he's done. Okay, it's not fair. Uh, we get that. But definitely curious as to your perceptions. I, I would say underwhelming thus far. Um, I would say, you know, adding Lorenzen was all right. Um, bringing back Matt Boyd, knowing, you know, the injury that he had is a, a little bit of a head scratcher, um, especially um, at $10 million a year. Um, I would have thought there might have been a more of an opportunity to get someone better. Um, you know, and then, and it, you know, I think the, the most interesting thing he did, though, he traded Jimenez um, to Atlanta, which I guess that's who we're trading all of our players to now. Um, but, you know, the, the when, when you're taking a look at that particular um, uh, trade, um, all indications are that this Justin Henry Malloy is the real deal. Um, and uh, But right now, there's still this alloreal type of feeling in terms of the moves that are being done. And I, I but it, in the meantime, maybe it's hasty of me having to, and to your point, Justin, it's hasty for me to have any sort of opinion until we know way more, because I think there's a lot of front office things happening and and maybe this is more of a uh, a year or two type of, of timeline versus say a um first i don't know well he, he was here in the season so four months or whatever time we are at this point uh, so maybe three three month point you know type of thing um but that justin henry malloy move is i thought was a very interesting move because uh, there's every indication to believe that they they got a pretty good prospect at this point. So, and, and especially at, at a position that they desperately needed prospects in, in the middle infield, right? So, Brandon, what about you? Um, I, I was maybe a slightly more positive take. Uh, not that Adam was overly negative. I I think um, he's operated logically. Um, I think there were some things that uh, set him back a little bit. You know, first and foremost, the easiest thing he could have done for this team was to go out and get a good DH. Can't do that. Um, and so, you know, that that right there was one move that could have been made to make this team much better would be to get somebody who can actually play a DH all year and hit at a, you know, a quality level consistently. Um, I liked the Jimenez move. I thought that was a great move. I liked I'm OK with both of the, the pitching signings. They're both one year deals. Uh, you're really not, you know, risking anything. Um, the pitching market isn't great. You know, you basically either had to go to commit 
like what uh, the Yankees just did with Rondon, you know, six years, seven years, or you had to, you know, pick off guys one by one. And so I would prefer with where their pitching staff is to do what he did. Um, there are, I, I do think we're getting to the, I wouldn't say panic, but, and he's got to add some bats uh, and he's got to decide. But again, I wake up and I see that someone gave Andrew Benintendi $75 million and my head explodes. Like I wouldn't give him 57 million. <laughs> like, let alone $75 million. I mean, so if the, the money that's being thrown around here, Justin and I have talked about this a couple of times. There's a few guys that I would have been interested in them picking off, like a Bogarts, um, maybe Swanson, though. I don't know. I don't know that he would hit particularly well at Comerica. Um, there are a few guys in the middle infield, you know, that I could have lived with shelling out big bucks for, but I'm not sad they didn't. You know, I'm not giving Correa 13 years. No, thank you. I have argued since the day he became a free agent on this show that I want him to sign Carlos Correa. Yes. Not giving him 13 years. No, thank you. All guaranteed. Um, all, ridiculous. You know? Um, so given what people are paying out there, I'm okay. I'm okay with what he's done. This team's got a long way to go. I don't, I'm curious to where the average Tiger fan is on this team and what they actually think. Um Right now, hard to imagine they, they don't lose 90-plus games. Um, you know, maybe maybe they can do a little bit better, fresh fresh start. You know, pitching will be much healthier this year. It has to be. Um, but I think it's going to be tough. I think it's going to be really tough. So. so, you know, what's interesting is in the various message boards and what have you that I follow, um, there's a lot, and I do mean a lot of negativity, um, a lot of people who are really, really – disappointed like oh here we go another five-year rebuild etc and i think harris is coming in not intending to do that um i I don't know what kind of rope he'll get but i I think probably a pretty long one but i i feel very similarly to you both i think in general Harris's general principles behind how he wants to structure this team are good. He's looking to build upon, you know, when 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 Avila took over, and we talked about this a lot, the Tigers were basically non-existent as it came to analytics, scouting, development. They they were the old guys from Moneyball. They, that, that's who they were. Okay, Avila at least put something there. It wasn't enough. It wasn't good enough. And he relied on people he shouldn't have relied upon. No question about that. Now, the team is taking an even more forward approach and really diving deeper into that. I fear they're going too far that way, but that's a whole other thing. And like what we talked about last time about them trying to fix everybody's swings. Like, whoa. And now they went out, they're going to have a, a coaching staff like the Giants with 87 people on it, um, which is still not as ridiculous as basketball, where you have one coach per player. But, you know, it's they're going to have really large staff. They're really going to dive into the science behind pitching and the science of hitting. I like that in general. I still believe that baseball is not a 100% numbers game. <laughs> Just like in poker, you can always play the right hand, you can always play the odds, and you will win more than you lose. However, you still need to be able to read the player if you want to be great. You can be good that way. You can't be great, in my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong, but 
so be it. So there are some positive things that Harris has done. He is looking to go out and get guys who control the strike zone, pitching and hitting. This is what his stated intention is. Love that. And that's part of the reason why he went out and got Malloy, which I believe, I'm more and more believing, was a really sneaky good trade. Obviously, time will tell. I had heard of Malloy. I was roughly familiar with him as a very decent prospect. Once I started digging into him a little bit, I am much more impressed with the trade. Trading Jimenez was a good move, even no, no matter what. It was a good move um, because final arbitration year. Now's the time. We have depth in the bullpen. So I, I feel really positively. Um, I actually liked bringing Boyd back. Um, he's actually throwing harder than he was prior to the surgery. Um, and actually looked good in those limited innings late in the season. No complaints. Less big on the Lorenzen move. Um, you know, less happy with that. Not terrible. Again, one-year deals. That's exactly what we needed. Um, and he, he can come in and throw a lot of innings. Great. I'm not convinced he can. And he's a little wild. So that makes me a little nervous. But fine. Pitching, fine. It really is. It's the offense. And this is where I'm still stuck, is why let the Castros go? Like, I'm, I'm still really fixated on that. Because you would have paid them combined $3 million, $3.5 million, right? You know, Harold was going to make a little more than I thought when I was originally talking about this. But why non-tender them? Or even Harold Castro. Okay, fine. But why Willie Castro, who's 25 years old? Switch hitter. Like, and you're keeping Zach Short on the roster. Like, who, who can't hit 200 at Toledo? Well, that's not fair. He did this season. But hit 140 but in the Letting Willie Castro go did, did not make sense. Like, I'm really confused by that. Harold, okay. But letting Willie I go, I, I, yeah, unless you were planning to, you know, pay, you know, these contracts. Uh, to bring these guys in, why Correct. would you let him go? Now, if they were going to go out and spend four hundred million dollars on two players well, in free different. agency, then fair enough. But if you're if you're being conservative in free agency, which isn't a bad idea, why why let Willie walk? I don't get it. Neither do I. They don't have depth yeah. among their position players, so you don't let guys like that go. You can always DFA them later, and you're only out. A, a very minimal salary. And both those guys are guys who are going to play on major league rosters next year. So you know somebody is going to pay at least the base salary. So it is a low risk, high I mean, reward. Might, might might be able to start somewhere in the, in the NL. Certainly on the Marlins. He's yeah. a starting player. So I, I really, really did not understand that. And I understand that those guys are, they are not good in terms of like on base percentage and things of that nature, which I think is where and this is just conjecture, mind you, but I think that's kind of where they were going is these guys do not have good plate discipline. On the other hand, Harold Castro is an anomaly. He is not a guy you can look at the Saber metrics on and understand the value of him as a player because he constantly rates out 
as slightly below replacement. But the reality of the situation is that's because his, for example, batting average on balls in play consistently well above the league average. And everybody's like, well, it's above the league average. He's going to come back to earth. Not when it's consistent every year. He puts balls in play that he shouldn't swing at, and he gets hits from them. It's what he does. He's one of those fungo kind of hitters who just makes things happen. Now, am I saying he's going to make a difference between us winning and losing a bunch of games? No, let's not be silly. But this is the part of me that fears the over-reliance on the analytics piece, is when you just look in a box and say, okay, they fit or they don't fit into this little box. And that's, it makes me nervous. Again, way too early to judge Scott Harris, way too early to be upset. Just as somebody who follows the game very closely also gives me some moment of pause. They have to add another bat. There's just no question. There's no question. And even Candelario, who I was fine with them letting him go, went out and got a contract basically at what the Tigers would have paid him. And even him, do you keep him and then DFA him when you bring in another player? And maybe not. And Brandon's shaking his head. And 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 okay, I'll buy that. I, I really will. But it just is mm, it makes me nervous. But time will only tell. So, and I'm 100% good with them um, not going out and signing ridiculous contracts. Um, Adam? Any concerns that the organization that he left, Giants, went out and, and then gave that the contract to Korea that we've, we've already alluded to a couple times? I, I, <clears throat> it's notable to me, and it is concerning. I think you can do that in San Francisco. I think you can do that in L.A., I think signing a guy to that sort of contract in Detroit is not good for PR either. Um, and uh, um, I, I, it, 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 it gave me a moment to pause when I, when I saw Yeah, that. I think you have to chalk it up to what's happening amongst the top eight teams in baseball right now. Is they're just in a crazy arms race. And the Giants they had a very bad year last year, but in 2021, they were a revelation. Um, and I think they think they're much closer to being the 2021 team than they were to last year's team. And I think they're trying to win the arms race, you know, and uh, the NL, you know, they're just loading up. The Mets are loading up. The Phillies went out and paid Trey Turner, you know, but, you know, Dave uh, opened up the bank vault for Trey Turner uh, and, uh, you know, the Dodgers are the Dodgers and they're going to do their thing. Um, So I think it was just a matter of, you know, wanting to be in that arms race. And if the Tigers were where the Giants were in the AL, maybe you could get me to agree to something like that. Maybe, you know, if, I mean, if look, the Tigers were in that hunt, you know, maybe I would be OK with some of these big contracts. You know, Correa could be a difference maker in the NL for the Giants. Absolutely. You know, you want him against the Dodgers, you know, X number of times a year and all the other teams they got to go up against. Sure. Tigers aren't there. You can't spend that kind of money. Yeah. And look at the look at the Mets roster. Look at the Mets um, starting rotation. I mean, it's just oh, the Padres, too. That's the other one of yeah. those teams that are just yeah, yeah. crazy arms race. Yeah. You know, and they're shopping Tatis, you know, for example. And, you know, it's, you know, when you get into that position, you're you're doing okay. Um, and you can trade a guy like that. I mean, he has his own baggage, but you get my point. And, yeah, true. But here's the other piece. Um, and I 
I don't want to bore everyone to death too too much on this, but just something to plant in the back of your mind is these long-term contracts, how much of it is because they're trying to subvert the luxury tax system because the average annual value is much lower. This is a tactic the Wings used to the point where the NHL changed the rules because of what the Wings did. It's why we were playing – yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why we were paying Franz and what did he he got like a 13 14 year deal, you know. Zetterberg, Datsuk, these guys went out and got less so Datsuk, but they they got these really really long contracts to keep um the, you know, keep them below the salary cap. And I think that's what we're seeing here in baseball as well. Um the problem is in hockey, there are ways of getting out of those contracts. You're still going to pay a lot of the money, but you're not going to pay all the money. Baseball, it's, this is guaranteed money. Bobby Bonilla all the way. And just like Adam, when he started you know, the, the NFL segment about how they're just burning money over there on bad contracts, um, that's what's going to happen here. And it's going to create problems in five to ten years if this continues to happen. But I promise you the Players Association will fight any potential changes based on those rules. And it's going to be very interesting to see where that plays out. So. It, it, it's stunning to see these numbers, though. And, and especially, too, when you know when the next co- player union contract is up and then all of a sudden hmm. the owners are you know, sitting there claiming to be poor i it's it's it, it's a rough watch that <laughs> frank with you and boy did that have a negative impact on the season um that labor um yeah. you know the, <clears throat> the the lockout by the owners and um while some good things came out of that baseball can't do that on a regular basis not if it wants to survive. Well, um, I, I, I think the combination of the contract, you know, the, the, the union contracting, and how really ugly baseball was last year from a fundamental standpoint, right? I mean, it, it, it was, it, everyone had gone to the, the altar of Earl Weaver and just were just taking everything that they could from it. And, and, yes. I, I, and, and it, it just, it does not make for good watchable baseball. No. And 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 again, this gets back to the fundamental problem with baseball currently. It's not that it's not a lot of the things. It's not extra inning games take too long. And yes, there were a couple examples in the playoffs of extra inning games that went a long time. That's some of the best baseball you'll ever get. Yeah. Um, nope. No question. So yes, we we continue to have the clown car rule because somehow baseball seems to think extra inning games, which make up a very small fraction of games, somehow is the problem. And it's not the fact that we don't put the ball in play. And it's home run, strikeout. That's the game that teams have been trying to play. Um, it's not, That's not enjoyable. You have to have some power in a lineup, for sure. Home runs exciting. Uh, I'm not saying it's not, but yeah. 
anyway. It'll be a very interesting offseason, um, once again, for the Tigers. And uh, they're a little behind the eight ball right now uh, with everything that's happened. Uh, it's been a little surprising, um, the pace of free agency. Yeah. But um, I don't know that I would have had the Tigers basically sign pretty much any of those contracts. So. Yeah, there's a couple of guys, even the, some of the lower guys that, you know, maybe a Josh Bell, you know, maybe an Adam Frazier. Not that I'm wild about any either one of those guys, but, you know, there's a couple of those kind of moves that I was or a maybe. little surprised they didn't jump in on something like that. But that's what they're going to have to do unless they've got somebody in mind that hasn't signed that they want to throw, you know, maybe um, what's his face, that Turner. Maybe they'll throw a bunch of money at him. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> You know who I'd love to see them go get, and I think he would fit this team perfectly, would be Brandon Drury. He was with the Reich last year. He got traded mm-hmm. to the Padres. That, that's a guy I think you could get for value, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and that's a guy I, I disagree. I would have loved to see Danzy Swan from here, and I think he'll be incredible with the Cubs. I really do, especially in that. I think he has enough power to uh, prevail there, uh, and uh, he he's a really good player, too, so. And yes. it just shows you where Atlanta is that, you know, they're so loaded in Atlanta at, at this point that they, you know, you know they trade Malloy, let, uh, you know, the NCP Swanson go, whatever, but they'll reload. That, that's an incredible organization right now. So. Yeah. All right. With that said, I think that takes us through the, uh, the gamut of things. Um, Obviously, World Cup is coming to a conclusion as well. Uh, Morocco, well, what a run they had. Uh, just got beat by Croatia. But um, that's why World Cup can be great, is when you get those teams that no one expects uh, come out of nowhere. Um, I have not had a chance to really watch any this year, which is disappointing because I generally enjoy World Cup soccer. Um been fun, but, uh, including the game right now, um, which I've been watching on my second screen. Uh, France scored two goals at the 80-minute mark and 81-minute mark to tie it up at 2-2. Oh, uh, no I believe kidding. That, yeah, I think it went to commercial. Or I lost my stream, but they probably will be heading to penalty kicks. Uh, okay. I think they've yeah. got one. I think they might have 15 more minutes. Um, but, yeah, France made a late charge. Okay. Yeah, I, it was I, – last I looked, it was 2-0 at, uh, at half. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So big football season coming up. Uh, So next time we do this show, probably a month-ish or so, uh, we'll have lots of college football to talk about as that wraps up. Um, We'll be football playoff uh, time, you know, NFL. We'll have a much stronger look at where Oakland University is, where the Wings and Pistons are, and maybe, maybe something will have happened with uh, the Tigers then too, although... I'm not 100% positive. So any last minute thoughts before we get out of here? Well, as we end the year, I, I do look forward to seeing what 2023 happens with the golf world. I hope it calms down a little bit. We're able to get back into the what I believe to be <clears throat> one of the most entertaining sports out there, if not the most entertaining, uh, based on the talent play and whatever. And it really got curtailed last year because of the LIV. And I hope that that resolves itself very quickly. Uh, and of course, with everything going on this weekend, uh, I will be keeping an eye a little bit or at least uh, tracking how uh, Tiger and Charlie do it near uh, PNC uh, 
uh, you know, family event. And uh, if you <laughs> don't know anything about Charlie Woods at this point, you will know about Charlie Woods. And even though he's 12, he appears to be on a trajectory that's unbelievable at this point from a golf perspective. A carbon but, copy swing of his dad's. Oh, my. Uh, other than his dad told him, don't swing like me, which I would totally encourage. Do not swing like that. Um, uh, the, he said swing like Rory, not, not me. And I, I totally agree with that. Um, but, uh, but then he went out and I guess he did something to his life just like his dad too. So I, but uh, it, that would be, but hopefully the golf world will write itself and, and continue being a, the, the, the skyrocket that it has been last several seasons. All right. With that said, this has been another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. Thank you so much for listening. For Brandon Lee and Adam Swenson, my name is Justin Lee. Have a happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and we'll see you in 23.